can be dismissed to Redemption Kids uh, with our awesome, awesome team up there uh, as they go to their classrooms. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 16 today. Um, if you're using one of the Bibles we provide, it's page 925, uh, page 925. And uh, as the kids are dismissed, I just want to give a, a thank you on behalf of all the pa- our pastors. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as the lead pastor of Redemption Hill. Uh, but just on behalf of all of our pastors, uh, thank you for an amazing week serving the city of Medford and all who came to be a part of it from our surrounding cities. Uh, it was a really, really great week. So um, let me just give props to uh, Pastor Reddy, uh, who took the lead, organized it strategically. Yeah, just give it up for Pastor Reddy. Um, works hard every day, and uh, his hard work really shines when we get to see him pull uh, a week like this together. Um, but then for every one of you who broke a sweat, who served, who got up early maybe for a prayer walk, whatever the case may be, uh, let's give it up for everyone in the house who uh, worked hard to serve Met for a week. So it really was, it really was a great week. Uh, our intention as a church from day one has been uh, not just to talk a good game, but to actually show the love of Christ by serving others as Jesus has served us. And so from the very beginning, we tried to find strategic ways that we could engage our city and serve our city with the love of Christ. And so uh, over the past couple of years, Pastor Reddy has led us to focus in on one specific park in the city. We work with City Hall and talk to the DPW to find out what's an area of our city that just could use some extra love and care. And so this year it was Tufts Park. And at Tufts Park, we trimmed shrubs and trees. We cleaned out debris from the playground. We painted trash cans and fences, and uh, we spread dirt around the softball fields there at the park. We built new bleachers so that the fans could sit and enjoy the games. Uh, We cleaned up Tufts Pool and got it ready for open this week. And so there were uh, hundreds and really thousands of man hours that were on display there at Tufts Park this week. And so we're compelled. We love, we love to serve our city because we want to, A, love our neighbor like God has instructed us to do, the second greatest commandment. And we want to serve because Jesus has served us. But also what we found is that it's a great opportunity to get to know the stories of our neighbors who, quite frankly, at this point in their journey, may not be interested at all at coming and learning about Jesus in the context of our church. And so rather than like saying, hey, come to us, which we certainly invite and say, hey, come, come and join us. But it's also, we're coming to you. We're coming to you because we love you. We're coming to you because you have a story. And God is very interested in your story. And so if you participated, if you had conversations around the park this week, I know that you're thinking of people like me, Anna, Louis, David, Julia, their precious little girl, Alora. What a beautiful name, Alora. Misael, Myra, Milan, and hundreds more like them. Who were just coming to the park to play and seeing that someone cares about our city, someone cares about their park, making a better space for their family. 
Someone wants to throw a movie night and a barbecue. Everything's free, and we can just have fun with our family at a free event. And oh, by the way, partner with the Boys and Girls Club to let them sell concessions and send kids to summer camp and to partner with the Malden Y so that we can help uh, uh, spread the word about their summer feeding program where they go around to five different parks in Medford every weekday at noon to feed uh, kids in need. And so all of these opportunities were great opportunities to learn stories. And we've learned from Jesus that God is very interested in each one of our stories. And what we love about God is that God is so interested in our stories that he wants to help us take the individual stories of our lives and he wants to help us connect our story with his larger story that he's writing in the world. And so as we continue to study the book of Acts as a church, what we have is story after story after story after story of individual people who are getting their story, the story of their life, caught up in the story of God as he's come to bring it through Jesus Christ. And what we find here in Acts 16 is uh, the story of a famous leader in the early church. Many argue the greatest theologian as well as the greatest missionary of the early church, a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And in Acts 16, Paul is starting his second missionary journey. Pastor John last week showed us from Acts 13 how the church at Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And they went through the, uh, the, the island of Cyprus and then through the region of Galatia, going to these different cities. And now he teams up with a man named Silas, and they take the gospel even further into what now is modern-day Turkey and Greece. And so you can see here on the screen, uh, Paul's first missionary journey here in red, you can see the the distance that they traveled. But then the second missionary journey, God sends them into deeper territory to help people know about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so if you would read along as I read uh, just the first several verses, verses 6 through 12 of Acts chapter 16. This is what Luke, the author of Acts, writes. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we remained in this city some days. As we see 
in this missionary journey, as well as the first missionary journey, it's the Holy Spirit of God, okay, God the third person, Father, Son, Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is leading this missionary team of Paul and Silas, and they pick up Timothy um, in Derby, and then they uh, also, it's clear from verse 10 that the author of the book of Acts, Luke, also joins them now, and he's part of this missionary team. But as God is leading them, we're surprised because two times in verse 6 and 7, it says that the Holy Spirit put the brakes on the mission when they wanted to go into Asia and they wanted to go into Bithynia. He said, no, 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 hold up. That's not where I want you to go. And so for a missionary, for God to say, hey, don't go fulfill the mission, it might have been a little confusing for Paul. Like, God, you told me to go to the ends of the earth. That's where I'm trying to go. What's going on here? But as always, God sees the bigger picture and God has a better plan, a more strategic plan for Paul. And so he sends them this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over to help us. And I love what the text says, and I want to be more like this in my own life. When God speaks, immediately. It's what the, it's what the Bible says. God says, go to Macedonia, immediately. They go. And they travel by boat to this port city, a leading city in Macedonia called Philippi. And we say, well, why Philippi? Why would God lead them to Philippi? Well, clearly, as Luke says, he helps us out, it was a leading city. And why was it a leading city? Well, it was a center of commerce, right? Just like Boston, the financial district, money flowing in and out of our city. It it had large copper and gold deposits around the city that made it a center of commerce, But not only that, Philippi, unlike many other Macedonian cities, was actually a Roman colony. Because Rome Rome dominated the world at that time, they colonized certain cities, which meant that tax burdens were alleviated on the one hand, but also that on the other hand, people had the opportunity to buy land and own land. And so this was a very strategic place for Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke to go and to preach Jesus to the people there. And what I love about cities, and this is true, we're going to see this here, and we certainly see it in our own city because just just in case I need to remind you, okay, we live in one of the greatest cities in the world. Come on now, you you can get a little hype about that. Come on now. Not just, hey, not, come on, not just the Red Sox and the Celtics and the Pats. All right, like we're, we're a great city apart from our sports teams. We're, we're even a great city apart from our colleges and universities. I mean, all but all of it comes together to make Boston one of the greatest cities on the planet. But what makes a city a city? Well, you have population density, right? You have population diversity, and you have massive cultural influence, right? I mean, just look around the room. I love this about our church. We'll never stop saying this at Redemption. We always said, God, would you make us? We prayed, God, make us a thumbprint of our community. Make, make, make us a mirror of our community where uh, the people from different ages and socioeconomic backgrounds and ethnicities, that, that we're all coming together in one place as a community to grow in our spiritual journey. And we love how God has done that. And so... Some people have said if we reach the cities, we can reach the world. And that's clearly Paul's method. I mean, if you go read Romans 15, you're going to see that 
Paul says, I've preached the gospel from Jerusalem all the way over to Illyricum, which is almost off the map here. And we know that one man didn't go into every village and city, right? But what he's saying is because I took the gospel throughout this whole area in all these cities, that, the city, that these cities are our influencers and the gospel is going to run downhill from these cities. This is what the pastor in Chicago, D.L. Moody, said almost 150 years ago when America wasn't as urbanized as it is today. When he said this, cities are the centers of influence. Water runs downhill. And the highest hills in America are the great cities. If we can stir them, we shall stir the whole country. And I get a little bit emotional about this, right? Because I, I move from a, a, an area of our country that's less populated. Not that we don't need more churches there. Not that we don't need healthier churches there. But I move from a, a less populated area of our country to a massively populated area of our country. Why? Because this is the strategic pattern that we're seeing in Acts. God wants us to be a presence in this city to make the gospel known. But now, here, don't miss this, all right? Don't miss this. What I love about this chapter is that we have the, the gospel advancing into a city. Thousands and thousands of people. But what Luke does is Luke tells us the story of three individual people. And oh, by the way, that teaches us that God is, once again, as I already said, he's very interested in individual stories. God is interested in your story today. God has always had his eye on you. God made you. He's giving you breath right now. And so what do we see in these three stories? I want us to walk through the stories, and I want to give us three truths that we learn from the story and end with just one simple challenge for all of us here today. And so the story of a woman named Lydia is the first story that we see here in the city of Philippi. Look at verse 13. It says, and on the Sabbath day, this was Paul's method, okay? When he went to a city, he would try to find uh, the Jewish people who already had a theistic framework. They were like him. Paul was, was a Jew, and so he went to other Jews or people who had maybe converted to Judaism to help them understand, oh, this Messiah that you're waiting for, ding, 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 he's here. And I want to tell you about him. His name is Jesus. And so it says, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. Why is that? It appears that there was no synagogue proper in the city of Philippi. And so it says, they went to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and afterward she was baptized and her whole household as well. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so Paul and the team go to a place of prayer 
because they know there's a built-in audience of people that are interested in having a spiritual conversation. And so these men sit down and they start having a dialogue with these women. And they start communicating and proclaiming, can we say, preaching about Jesus to these people who have gathered there. And it says that one woman in particular, her name was Lydia, she heard these words, but God works to help her really pay attention to what they are communicating, and she believes in Jesus. Now, notice in verse 13 that it says Lydia was a worshiper of God. Actually, verse 14. Verse 14. Lydia was a worshiper of God. And I think it's important here. Maybe, maybe today you come to Redemption Hill and you would say, hey, I believe in God. I, I've, I've believed in God for as long as I can remember. I consider myself a spiritual person. I, I even maybe, maybe, maybe you don't care about like religion, like organized or, you know, but, but maybe you do. Maybe you're, maybe you're a religious person. Uh, but, but yet what, what this story teaches us is that it's not just because someone attends a church, Catholic, Protestant. It's not just because someone says, hey, I'm spiritual, I pray. It's not because someone wears a cross on their necklace or have it, has it tatted on their arm. That they really have a real relationship with the God who made them. I mean, just, just two weeks ago, I had a conversation with, with a friend after Explore Group, and uh, he's learning about Jesus, and so I just, and he comes from a, a very religious background. And so I explained the gospel to him, and afterwards, after two hours of conversation, I said, have you ever heard this before? What's his answer? No. No. We cannot assume that people have even heard the gospel, much less rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Lydia here, a worshiper of God, perhaps a, a convert to Judaism, hears the story of Jesus, and she responds to the story of Jesus, becoming the first recorded European convert in the book of Acts. And I think it's pretty obvious to us. There are many Lydias in our city. There are many people who are spiritual but not religious. There are many people who are religious but not churchgoers, right? There are many people who pray but don't really even know the God to whom they're praying. And it's up to us to help them connect the dots and hear the larger story. That's the story of Lydia. But then it's on another occasion as Paul and the team are going back to this place of prayer that they encounter a very different young woman who is simply known as a slave girl in this passage. Look at verses 16 through 18. It says this, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, 
having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. A few things that we need to grasp here, okay? Number one, this young girl was a slave. She was abused and exploited by her owners. And I think it goes without being said that Christians should speak out against slavery in our world. By the way, 20 to 30 million people across the globe are are in slavery right now. Many of those being victims of sex trafficking. 800,000 people, mostly young girls, are brought across international borders every year as victims of sex trafficking. And so we just need to be reminded that this is a reality in our culture. It's a reality in New England. And we need to pray against this darkness. And we need to actively work to serve anyone that's caught in any form of abuse. Any form of abuse. Sexual, physical, emotional, mental, psychological, even spiritual. We need to be messengers of hope. And to serve these people who are being abused and oppressed like this slave girl here. Um, Number two, not only was she a slave, but she had this, what Luke says, a spirit of divination, okay? And he explains that. He says that she had the ability to tell uh, the future, all right? And, And so this is like, this maybe kind of catches us off guard, right, in our Western context, but, but uh, in, in, in the Greek world, not only was this highly valued, okay, it was highly lucrative because it was highly valued. And so these owners were making money off of her services, and as she was going through the city, she had the ability to peer into what Paul and Silas were about, and she starts to basically travel around them and just nag and annoy and harass them. Luke says, day after day after day after day. And what I love about the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, here's one thing I think you'll appreciate, okay? The Bible is very real and down to earth. In other words, it just kind of tells it like it is in everyday circumstances. So we have this greatest theologian, greatest missionary, Paul. And what does it say in verse 18? It says that Paul was greatly annoyed. Like like anyone just have people that get on their nerves? Like Paul can identify with you, right? And so he becomes so annoyed. He's like, we get the sense he's like trying to be patient. He's trying to bear with it. He's probably praying for her. Like God help this woman out, you know. And, and, but she's just so annoyed that he turns around. And he says, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. We see that this young girl was not only physically oppressed, but she was spiritually oppressed. She had an unclean, evil spirit in her that was causing her to, to act in this way. And so... Team Jesus brings her the, 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 the hope of Christ, the power of Christ. And it seems here, okay, we can't be 100% certain, but it seems here that this slave girl, like Lydia, and the next person we're about to see, experiences perhaps a conversion as well. And I lean that way for at least three reasons. Okay, number one, there's a literary reason. Uh, The story of Lydia and the story of the jailer, as we're about to see, both of them clearly hear the message of Jesus and believe. All right? Number two, there is the textual reason, right? He says, 
I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And if, if you're that girl, which is just like a, a practical, maybe a fourth reason, a practical life reason, like if I just got set free by Jesus, I want to know about Jesus. And I'm probably highly likely to believe whatever these people say about Jesus. And then a, a third or even a fourth reason um, is the spiritual reason. She was completely changed. She was completely changed. And so, so changed that her owners could no longer make money off of her. And so whether or not she was like brought into saving faith in Christ, or maybe that happened later for her, what we know is that the gospel moved powerfully in her life in a supernatural way. This was wonderful for the girl, but it turns out to be not so great for Paul and Silas, at least at a practical level. And this is what we see in verses 19 through 24. Look at these. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. Racism. These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. False claim. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept their practice. The crowd then joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. This, this is, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Multiple times I was imprisoned. If you, if you think like you're great in the kingdom of God, if you think greatness is because like a lot of people look at you and respect you and talk about you, and we live in a celebrity culture in America that, that even like highlights celebrity pastors, God, may I never, like I don't think I'm in danger of that by the way, but like may I never be a celebrity pastor? That's why I took three weeks off last week. We, we operate as a team anyway at Redemption Hill. It's not about one person. But as, as this is, is happening here, Paul's, Paul's laying out, I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians, he's laying out his spiritual credentials, his resume, right? Like that's greatness in the eyes of God, a willingness to, to do whatever for the kingdom of God and full surrender. But, but, but this, this persecution comes Paul's way. This persecution comes Silas's way. And so what happens next? We pick up in verse 25. It says this, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. 
Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. And so in these moments of persecution, you have Paul and Silas singing praise to God. As they're singing praise to God, God sends an earthquake, which in this region of the world, it was actually very common to have earthquakes there, and you would say, well, then, does that make it less than miraculous? No, absolutely not. And why is that? It's because God takes natural occurrences and infuses his supernatural timing and purpose. And I hope that resonates in your heart, because guess what? That's true for you this week. That was true for me on Wednesday morning when I went for the prayer walk at Tufts Park, and then I had some work to do that was unrelated to, you know, working at the park. And so I went down to Cafe Dia, Brazilian coffee shop there on Main Street, and I'm just sitting outside and I'm reading my word and preparing for Sunday. And uh, this young couple with a newborn comes up and I just strike up a conversation and ask about their kid. And uh, we, you know, are just talking about life and family and we have a baby boy on the way too. And, uh, and, and so uh, I invite them to the movie night. And then, you know, next thing I know, they're asking me about the church and I'm giving them an invite card. And it's just like, what is that? It's just a natural, natural occurrence. Tanner wanted some coffee while he worked. You know what I'm saying? But, but, but God, God takes our everyday occurrences and he infuses his supernatural timing and purpose into them for his kingdom's purpose. Be ready this week. Be ready this week. God used these moments to draw this jailer to the feet of Jesus, to believe in him and to experience salvation. Wow. And so what do we learn here? What do we learn from these stories? I want to give you three truths, three truths from this story, okay? Number one, the story of Jesus transforms diverse people, all right? The story of Jesus transforms diverse people. As we take a closer look at the profile of these three people, what we find is, first, Lydia, she was a woman from Asia. She's probably, based on her her, her business dealings and her means and her household, she's probably a middle-aged woman, and it's clear from the text that she is a wealthy woman. And how do we know this? It's because Luke just takes a phrase to give us the detail that she is from Thyatira in the province of Asia, okay, and she is a seller of purple goods. Purple goods were expensive, associated with royalty. And so she would have been making good money as a businesswoman there in Philippi. We also learn that spiritually she was a God-seeker. 
in so much as the, 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 the heart is longing for something more, right? She's, she's seeking after truth. She's in a, a, a religious context praying. And so she's open to God and what Paul and Silas and the team had to share with her. That's Lydia. What about the slave girl? Well, as we saw, she is mentioned by Luke as a girl. This points to the fact that she's probably not very old. She's probably pretty young. And it's likely there in that uh, Greek uh, area, uh, region that she is a native Greek. And clearly we know that being a slave, she was impoverished, right? She was, she was less than broke. But spiritually, she's not seeking God. Again, it's like from Lydia to the slave girl, and perhaps this is why Luke coordinates these stories. Like he's writing an orderly account. So you have Lydia, older, rich, seeking God, and you have the slave girl who's impoverished and is a mess spiritually. She is spiritually oppressed. She's not working on Team Jesus. She's working for Team Satan, and she doesn't even probably know it, right? So that's the slave girl. But then you have the jailer, the jailer was not a woman, he was a man. He was a Roman. It's likely that he was, had served in the Roman military and then oftentimes when the military men would retire, they would get jobs in prisons in uh, the towns and cities around uh, the, the empire. And so this hardworking jailer is more than likely middle class. And spiritually, just knowing uh, Roman culture, he's probably pretty apathetic to whatever Paul and Silas would have wanted to share with him. And so we see a diversity, the diverse spectrum of, of, of gender and age and ethnicity and socioeconomic background and spiritual background. And we're just saying, like, God, you've put us... You've put us on one of the greatest mission fields on the, in the planet, right? That's what we love about Boston. Boston is full of people from all over the globe. They're full of, we're full of people that are uber-educated and not very educated, right? We're full of people that, that are white-collar and blue-collar. And, and just the spectrum is here. And so as a church... Can we just continue to pray? Like, God, send more union workers. You know what I'm saying? Like, local 22, local 40, local uh, 177, uh, you know, like, sipping sipping iced coffees and just, like, tat it up. Like, God, bring more union workers to our church. And bring more professors with PhDs. And God... Would you please, like, fill up these rows with, with more Brazilians and Tibetans and old-school Italians? Come on now. Mario Amici, my man Mario. Go, go buy a slice from Mario on, on High Street. He's coming one day. <laughs> hey, St. Patty's Day was in March, Freddie. Come on now. We love the Irish. Metford, we know. Metford, 50% roughly Irish or Italian born. We're, yeah, loaded with all the, all the Irish. We love them. We love them. And, and here's another one, and this one's been bothering me for a bit. God, would you send more addicts to our church? Does that, does that make anybody nervous? God, send more addicts to our church. 
Because we believe that when their story comes into this story, those addicts will become former addicts. Come on. We can't, God, do, would you do that, Lord? Please, God, do that. The story of Jesus brings change to diverse people, transforms diverse people. But, but then number two, the story of Jesus flexes, okay, it flexes, it's agile, okay, in diverse circumstances, we see this in each of the three stories. Lydia, we, we've talked about, she was seeking God. She was probably ready to hear. But, but as you know, everyone who hears doesn't believe. And so we can, we can have the most persuasive presentation, and yet what it takes is God shining his light into a person's heart to open their heart to him and to believe in Christ. The Greek word here for open is like two double doors flung wide open that were impenetrable before. Like that's how God works. That's how God moves into a person's life to bring them salvation in Christ. And so that was Lydia's story. And, and, and I just want to point out, because I think we need to hear this as those that, that live in a culture that is not super receptive all the time to people talking about Jesus, right? Lydia hears and she believes. Uh, the, the indication from Acts 16 is that she heard and she believed. And so our mantra, like Acts 26, when Paul's before King Agrippa, he says, uh, like the king says to Paul, like, well, would you in such a short time persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul says, whether short or long, would to God that not only you, but everyone who hears my voice this day would become such as I, except for these chains. Did you catch that? I know I said it fast. He's saying, like, I want everyone, like, whether it's a short time or whether it's a long time, but, but here's what we can, we can, like, just drift into this, like, it's going to take forever. It's going to be the 100th conversation. But we should pray and we should talk about Jesus as if the first time they're stepping into life in Christ. I think God looks at us and sometimes like, why are you so patient? How about a little urgency here? Because I'm that good and they need me that much. The gospel Flexed to Lydia where she was. She needed intellectual information. She needed her, the, the truth to register in her mind to hit her heart and cause her to believe in Christ. But that's not what the slave girl needed. The slave girl needed a spiritual power to overcome the spiritual oppression in her heart. And so the, the slave girl needed an experiential power of the power of God in the name of Jesus the kingdom of light conquering the kingdom of darkness that was at work in her. And what did the jailer need? The jailer, he needed two things. He needed two suffering, beaten, bleeding, probably almost left for dead men, not moaning, not cursing, but actually praying and singing praise to their God. 
And then he needed God to send a supernatural uh, moment to shake him out of his apathy. And so he needed something very practical and experiential to help lead him into the truth of Christ. And so for some of, listen, for some of the, the people around you, they may need to see you suffer well. And hopefully that suffering is not great, right? But like they may need to see you to go through some hard times, whether it be at work, with family, with sickness, whatever. They may need to see you have faith and hope and peace that is unexplainable to them. To where they're saying, wow, whatever, whatever's going on with them, like if I'm being honest, I need some of that. The gospel, the story of Jesus, it it flexes in diverse circumstances, but then finally it also brings diverse change. Jesus, Jesus changes people, so those people will go bring his change to other people. You got that? All right, and I hope that's just registering with you. I know like you're probably hearing like, could this not have been a third point? Because, like, we're in the book of Acts, and we're hearing this every week, right? Like, the gospel is going forth. People are talking about Jesus, and people are believing in Jesus. This is the whole book of Acts. John, Tanner, Pastor Relic, could you guys just kind of, like, skip that point one week? I mean, the Bible doesn't skip it, so we don't skip it. You know what I'm saying? So, 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 so what happens here is, is Lydia hears the gospel And because she's been changed and experienced ultimate joy, her natural reflex is to go get her family to hear the gospel so that hopefully they also will believe the gospel. And the same thing happens with the jailer. He hears the gospel and his natural reflex is to go help make sure that his family knows the gospel so that they can believe in Jesus as well and experience salvation in him. And so listen, this like, we have to keep praying. That's why I love the song, You Make Me Brave. Like God makes us brave. I don't have courage in and of myself. I don't have boldness. I'm not naturally like just going to go out and in all my relationships try to talk to Jesus about my like God does that. And so we pray and we hope and we keep sharing and we keep loving. Listen, I know that some of you, you're the only Christian in your family. I know some of you, you're the only Christian in your workplace. You're the only Christian in your neighborhood. And what I want to say to you is, persevere, keep shining, keep hoping, keep sharing, keep loving, keep serving. Because listen, all it takes is one. All it takes is one. In this story, one becomes two. Two becomes three. Three becomes dozens. Dozens become hundreds. It's the domino effect. So like, just pray like, God, would you use me just to be a domino and to share and this, that you would do that in one person and then Two people, and then we'll just see more and more. And then, like, this place is going to be full one day. And not only is this place going to be full, but we're going to, like, multiple services and, and multiple opportunities for people to come and worship together and hear about Jesus because he is that good. I love that. Come on, Nancy. I see you, Nancy. I see you, Diane. Yeah. And then finally, listen, not only is it inward, but it's also an action. It's also an action. Lydia... Not only make sure her family hears about Jesus, 
but she very generously takes of her resources. And she says, like, she even, like, puts it on Paul. Like, hey, if you think this is legit, if you've found me faithful to God and now I'm following him, please stay. Like, she's basically demanding that they stay in her home. She's offering her home up hospitably and generously to Paul and the team. The same thing with the jailer. He, he takes them into his home. He feeds them. He shows them mercy. He bandages their wounds. This is what the gospel does. It not only changes us to talk about Jesus, it changes us to live like Jesus as well. And so here's my challenge. Here's my challenge for every single one of us. Whether you are like Lydia before she heard, or the slave girl before she encountered the power of God, or the jailer who uh, then heard the gospel, or like them after they came to believe the gospel. It's the same encouragement and challenge. And that is simply this. Get your story caught up in the story of Jesus. Get your story caught up in the story of Jesus. You may need to receive salvation, just like Lydia and the girl and the jailer. And you can do that today, simply admitting your need before God. You, you've, you've walked away from him. You haven't lived your life for him. But now, because of Christ dying for you in your place, offering you forgiveness for your sins, that now you can be brought back into a relationship with God through his life, death, and resurrection. Just by believing in him and committing your life to follow him, you can have salvation just like these three stories. Get your story caught up in the story of Jesus. But then number two, listen, don't like if you're already in with Christ, don't think that you're off the hook because it's not to receive salvation, but it's to bring salvation. And I'm just, we're just going to keep talking. Like this is what people who are filled with the spirit, overflowing with the spirit, they overflow with words about Jesus. And so here's my simple encouragement to you. Please do not say, oh yeah, next week. Because what I found in my own life is that when I say next week, it normally doesn't happen next week or the week after that. I want to encourage us to allow God, by his grace, by his spirit empowering us, to get our stories increasingly caught up in his story so that we can be like Paul and be like Silas and be like Timothy and be like Luke who are consistently, consistently, consistently introducing people to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. And God, thank you for how you care about individual stories. And so, Father, we ask that wherever we are in our journey today, that we would take our story and we would say yes to the story that you want to write in our lives. God, we pray that today some would find salvation in Christ. And God, we pray that for those of us who have found salvation in Christ, that we would bring that message of salvation to the people around us for their good and joy as well as our own. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.